Hey friends, if you thought my own personal plugs couldn't get more grotesque, I'm delighted to announce the Sydney season of my one-woman show, The Apologists. The Apologists presents three topical stories which combined provide a powerful examination of the meaning of the act of public apology. I've had the terrifying pleasure of doing a few seasons of it in London, and now I am positively pissing at the pant to share it with Australian audiences. So come and see us at the Old 505 Theatre, January 20 to 31st. In the show notes, you'll find links to where you can buy tickets for every single member of your family this Christmas. And also the trailer. Enjoy. Hello, I'm Gabrielle Scorthorn, and this is Back from Reality. When I was 17 years old, my dad smuggled me out of a school excursion so that I could line up for hours at my local Westfield to audition for the reality television show Fresh Meat where I would be competing to be a presenter on Channel V, which sounds pretty legit. But when you're plucked from suburban obscurity and thrust into the public eye in a world of sex, drugs and rock and roll, and you're not even legal, shit goes down. What happened over the next few months shaped the rest of my life in ways that I'm still discovering today. In this series of podcasts, I will be speaking with a different guest each week from the world of reality television. These chats will cover the highs and lows of the reality TV experience, how their lives have changed as a result, and what it's like to come back from reality. I am continuing the food-themed festivities this week with my interview with Rhys Hignall. Rhys first appeared in Season 10 of MasterChef Australia in 2018, finishing in sixth place. Earlier this year, he returned to the MasterChef kitchen to compete in MasterChef back to win. Now, I know a lot of us tried our hand at some cooking challenges during COVID-19 lockdown. I don't think my husband will soon forget my attempt at a baked Alaska after an afternoon of furlough-fueled day drinking. But unlike Reese, few of us can boast that our lockdown cooking efforts earned us fifth place in the all-star season of the toughest cooking show in the country. So set your stock to simmer, hang up your apron and enjoy my interview with Reese, Cake Boy Hignall. I was watching your season, your first season, I should say, and I found it incredibly endearing when you were saying, I've watched it since the first season. And I just wanted to know, what was your relationship with the show before you were on the show? I suppose the first season probably caught Australia by storm. I don't know if you remember watching it, but it was like massive. So I was just like someone at the time who was like interested in cooking or liked cooking as a teenager. Yeah, how old were you? You must have been a baby. I wouldn't say baby, but I was about 18. Oh, maybe 17, because I remember I watched it at my mum's house. But yeah, I just fell in love with it then because it was like great TV. Plus it was something I was interested in, which was like cooking. Because besides that, like I'd come home from school and I'd watch like lifestyle food and watch like Ready, Steady, Cook UK, Come Dine With Me UK and stuff like that. So I was really excited that there was an Australian TV show about cooking. And so you'd always been interested in, in food and cooking. Is that a family thing or where did that come from? I think like I'm starting to connect the puzzles of that question the older I get. When I grew up, I definitely did not feel as though I lived in a family of, say, long-standing traditions of cooking and different stuff like that. But nor did we really have traditions of what we would eat. 
growing up. And I think that was like what first of all triggered my interest in food because I've, I've seen like other families doing this and other people with all these really cool backgrounds having really cool food when I'd go to their house. So it kind of made me a little bit more interested. And that was it, like the first moment I started to get into food. But now I'm starting to find that my family does have a very strong tradition of food, like specifically like baking. And that's now changed and passed the future of my career. So yeah, I'm starting to reflect on it a lot and kind of really appreciate all of the things that we actually did have in my family. And did someone from your family encourage you to go on MasterChef? How did you first get the idea of, yeah, maybe I could be on that show? Well, actually, I applied for the season of 2018 that was season 10 and when I opened the application form to put in my details to sign up it was like you already have a member login and I was like what how like I've never applied for a tv show before and then I opened it up and there was part of my application from 2012 which would have been season two so I definitely must have been interested I just had no memory that I had previously wanted to apply but I guess at the time like something steered me away to not feel confident enough or creative enough when I was younger to apply but it was something I always kind of like had ambitions to do was something like MasterChef I always wanted to but I suppose I was always trying to like excel my career and never was in like really the right spot to stop my life to go do something like that until 2018 for season 10. Everything just kind of lined up really well so I could apply. It's actually a really funny story about why I did apply. So I was watching one of the season finals and in that final someone cooked a dish that I had previously made the week before and I was like what they're making that in the final and I made that for dinner last week and my partner was like if you think you're that good why don't you just do it and then three days later I came back oh my god I got a I got an application for MasterChef and it got approved yeah it was kind of like a really funny moment I was like that was the click I was like yeah I will apply actually like I've always wanted to do it and I did it and and so what is that process you've got your first application after you remembered that you've (laughs) already done one I love that and so then you get approved and what's the process from there so it is actually like a long process you do quite a thorough application and then you go to like a testing center so in that kind of setup there's a few stages of cooking so it kind of mimics the competition just to see how I suppose like your cooking style suits a competition and to see if you're able to get what they kind of want out of the contestants. So you go into the testing centre on day one. Of course, this is all not filmed as well. So on day one, you do like a mystery box. So you get the hour, you get the mystery box, and it's really daunting. And then if you do well on that one, you're invited back for the next day where you create a dish which you would give the judges on TV. And they give you feedback like how the judges would give you feedback. And then from there you get shortlisted. So if you make it through those two cooks, it doesn't necessarily mean that you make it into what's called the top 50. You have to then get shortlisted and then 50 out of that shortlist get picked through other like different testings as well. So it is like a really long process, but I think they do it like that because one, they want to make sure like the right people come into the show. Like everyone's got like positive aspects about cooking and like really want to do well and are able to like kind of go through the stresses of the competition. So they give you like a taste of it before you're there. 
which I found was really good. So by the time I actually got to the top 50, I wasn't really stressed because I'd had to already done it before. Right. So you get that taste of what you're about to step into, which is quite helpful. Did you make your mandarin sorbet as your mock dish? Yeah, yeah, I did actually. So I had two dishes that I kind of wanted to do. And the mandarin beetroot one was the one that I wasn't convinced on because it was like all messy on the plate. And then I showed a picture of the two dishes that I was going to do for that second day. And when the lady who was looking at it seen the mandarin one, she's like, oh my God, this is like really abstract. It's like what people like in food at the moment. You should definitely do this. So I did it and it just so happened that they really enjoyed the taste of it. So when you went in, you know, when you're actually filming, were you kind of like, they liked it before? Were you a little bit confident with it? I suppose I was, but then there was also 50 other people who'd already (laughs) got through on a good dish. So I suppose I honestly made that dish nonstop in between getting told that I could go on the show and being on the show. So It might have been like a week or two or maybe three weeks just to prepare yourself. So I was practicing nonstop just to perfect this dish because I knew if anything went wrong, I would obviously not get an apron. So let's talk about that period in time. Firstly, where were you? How did you get told, yep, you're going on, you're in the top 50? Well, I was driving to the gym actually and I was in the car and I – It's just around the corner from where I live and I got the phone call and it came up Bluetooth and it doesn't show the name of the caller because I didn't have it saved. And straight away I was like, oh my God, this is MasterChef. And yeah, I answered the phone. It was like the executive producer and he basically gave me the good news. And I just remember I was so excited. I was just like almost in shock and I went to the gym. I just couldn't do anything because I was just so excited about the prospect of going to MasterChef. And I just had to come back and chill out, tell the people I lived with what I was doing. And that was really exciting. So you were saying that you kind of practised that specific dish nonstop and you said you had a couple of weeks there from being told to actually going on. How do you prepare for something like that mentally and also skills-based? What were you doing? Well, basically I was just making sure that I could perfect a lot of things that I'd seen in the show before. If they have a challenge where they're like, oh, make a Mexican dish or make an Indian dish or we want you to chop an onion or something. So I was just like trying my best, like breakfast, lunch and dinner was always a full on meal and it was always plated out just for that short period of time. And it was just, yeah, constantly researching and constantly perfecting technique. I I learned a lot in that short period of time, but I mean, I learned a lot more actually down the track when I was actually on the show as well. Yeah, we had a mate who was a fabulous cook. You know that mate, it's probably you, so maybe you don't know that <laughs> mate in your circle of friends, but Rob's that guy that's just like, oh, yes, Rob's invited us over for dinner. Sick. And and he, he was thinking of applying for MasterChef, but he was just kind of going through all of the assumed knowledge that you must have before you even kind of apply you know, and there's so much back work, but then you're also about to change your life in this huge way. Did you have to leave your job to do this? Yeah. So once I got the okay, I resigned straight away. 
I worked really hard. I worked in recruitment and I really loved all the jobs that I had. And I worked really hard to get it into a position of something that was like paying really well and I was really comfortable at. But it kind of was like my life was getting a little bit stagnant. So at that point, I was like, I've done this now for the last few years and my life hasn't changed that much. And I was like, I'm coming to the end of my 20s and I don't really want to like just be sitting in an office for the rest of my life. So I was like, if this is going to change my life or even if it can change my life it's up to me to actually change it but this could give me a good stepping stone so I'm just gonna go for it you've completely uprooted your life to be a part of this show what was the first day like um traumatizing oh, oh, <laughs> why what happened it was just like really overwhelming for me like I don't necessarily feel as though my personality lends it felt well to an overly produced production. I think in time I've learned to deal with it really well and show up to work and do the right thing. But at first it was really daunting. It's just something, you know, you've never done before, especially when you watch the show, you think, oh, there's just a few people there cheering on cooking. But no, there's like a whole crowd of people on that first day, especially top 50. It's jam-packed full of a warehouse full of people. There's so much production stuff. Like, tons and tons and tons and yeah it was really hot and you don't get told when you're going to get caught up to cook you just get tapped on the shoulders and then you're like oh it's your time to go up and cook so then I was like maybe the fourth person and yeah it was scary but you know I kind of dealt with it okay because that's something else that we should touch on actually you're in this group of 50 people and I mean as you've just said you resign from your job so you're with a bunch of people who have probably turned their lives upside down and it's not assured that you're going to get that apron or is it did you have an inkling or no I was actually really threatened at both times I went to MasterChef actually I felt very threatened by everyone's skills and I think when you put in that situation everyone just is there like you know oh I do this or I specialize in this or I do that or I do that or my family's this culture and we make this food and you just think oh my god I'm going (laughs) there's no (laughs) way I'm getting an apron and you think there's 50 people and only 24 people will get an apron is there a bit of and excuse my language here but is there a bit of dick measuring do you know what I mean like (laughs) is there a bit like yeah I can chop an onion in three seconds babe yeah hundred percent that was definitely the vibe like that's how I felt and like because I didn't feel as though I lent myself well to that situation I was like you know kind of like sink or swim as well like I was like oh my god I'm getting overwhelmed and people have all these crazy knowledge that I had no idea about so I was like you know what I'm either gonna get on or I'm like crash and burn here and obviously you do get your apron and then you go into the whirlwind that is the MasterChef experience. I recently had the absolute pleasure of talking to someone from the British Bake Off and the way that they film is they just film on the weekends. So, I mean, that's a blessing and a curse because I think a lot of them have to keep up their full-time job and do the show. And they get the week, though, to kind of go back to their families and decompress about what happened over the weekend and they're able to practice in their own space. That's not the case with MasterChef, is it? No, not at all. And like, I mean, the the Bake Off guys, it just sounds like heaven. I think actually my personality probably would have lent itself better to Bake Off because it's much more chill and relaxed. But yeah, no, we go into basically lockdown, which 
is good, like really positive in so many ways. Like it puts you in this environment where you're with people and you have very limited contact to the outside world and you're just constantly focused on cooking and getting better and better and better. And that's why when you watch this show, you always see like a strong progression in what people are able to cook from when it first starts towards the end. Like when you spend six months constantly cooking every single day and studying it, I mean, anyone could do it. So there is that kind of difficulty or the idea of going into a show like MasterChef and being so insular in that world. But the way that they make it, I honestly believe, helps the contestants become stronger, more focused, and it probably gives it like a better TV show in the end because it starts with them making like, well, we all made like really simple home cooking to start with. And by the end of it, we're doing stuff that you could never imagine you would do just at home. Do you have your phones? No, we don't. So you're blocked off from the outside world entirely. Do you think that they are doing it more so for the progression of your skills or is there also an element of the the drama that that then creates with the stakes of the show? I think the drama is going to happen naturally because between both our seasons there was both the season I was on and the season I was just on, there was a lot of different requirements of the contestants in and out of filming and both evoked the same amount of drama. So I think the show will always have drama because you're asking home cooks to cook a spectacular dish in 60 minutes and that 60 minutes you have to think of what you're cooking and find equipment and everything so there's always going to be a high level of drama what the show does not do is it does not encourage or facilitate any type of bad behavior into relationships between the contestants where that might go negative if that did happen it definitely would never be shown on tv either so the drama itself I think it's definitely made from the pressure off the challenges because I felt it over two seasons where on one season we were quite restricted in what we can do and on the other one we weren't. How did you manage all of that pressure? We did get some phone calls home. So twice a week you could have a phone call home and just debrief about life and what's going on there. And if there was like really important stuff, you had to like, or say have a meeting with like your accountant or something like that or there was... Like, a, like some of the parents had Skype conversations with teachers. So there was still like communication with the outside world, but it was very, very restricted. Did you get anxious or, or feel any pressure at all being on the show? I felt like very supported from home. There is a lot of stress doing that. Like it's really, really hard and it's really hard not having your family back home and you kind of create these relationships with fellow contestants which mimic your friends and family back home. And it is really hard, but I suppose for me, I was in a situation with a really supportive group of people back home. So when I would call up, I was given basically what I needed. Plus also once I was able to adjust to the competition, I became quite competitive and really wanted to do really well. So I was really determined and focused on doing well in the competition and kind of zoned in on that and tried to block out a lot of things that was going on around me, if that makes sense. But I definitely, when I came home after being there, that was when I felt there was like a difference in my new way of thinking and how I'd been thinking for the last six months compared to like how everyone or my friend's family partner, like everyone thought like that was more of the adjustment rather than when I was there. So you mentioned that you got quite competitive and I imagine that that's with yourself as well. Is there 
how does the show and you as an individual mediate that competitive nature? Is it ever outward to other contestants? Do you ever kind of look at something that someone's made and gone, oh, shit, that looks great? Yeah, yeah. Everything is overly positive on the show. And definitely stuff like that would happen all the time. I mean, every challenge you go into, you want to win. And some you just know you're not going to win, but you still want to. But yeah, you'd walk around and you'd see what other people would cook and you'd be like, oh, that looks so good. Like just like getting so disappointed. We kind of learned that you could never like judge a book by its cover. You had to kind of wait for the judges to taste it because you just never know like the bottom might be burned or please like have a fingers crossed like the best looking <laughs> dish. Like please have something wrong with it. Like, uh-uh. <laughs> And then you can be like, the one that just comes through in the end. Yeah, there was definitely like a lot of competition like that, but it was never overtly nasty. It was just the way, like you're in an actual competition. It's really hard not to be competitive. You were saying that's not the vibe of the television show, so that's not what they want to outwardly show. Are they caring for the inner workings of the show as well to not let that affect the competitors? Are they actually trying to minimise that competitive nature as a group dynamic? I think they encourage you to be competitive for sure. They just don't encourage it to be in malice. So they're like heavily monitoring you and you have to remember like we're all mic'd the whole time. So like whilst we're on set or even like when we're off set, we're always around crew. So they're always watching and seeing what we're doing and just monitoring us to like kind of maintain a professional, polite relationship amongst us all, even if we do get competitive. And we all live together, so we all have family-like relationships with one another. But we all need to remember as well, like we're on a TV show, which is basically like going to a job. This was my way of thinking about it, especially coming from recruitment. You know, this is my job. I come to work. I need to be professional when I'm here or when I go home, I can chill out and be myself or just say what I want to say back home. But when I'm at my job, I need to be professional. And I think that's the way that the show did want us to treat it as well. Because like as much as you are on a TV show, they're fully capable of making the drama because the way they get the drama, as I've said, is out of the challenge. So they don't need to stress about us doing anything to us to make us give them drama because they're going to get it anyway. But they want to kind of train us to come to the job, do the job well and go home because after the show, there'll be a lot of opportunity for us to do similar stuff like this. And we work with the same camera crew or you work with the same production team or you might work with the same company. So you want to be able to go to these type of jobs, maybe know the people, but know how to interact with everyone as well. And you've mentioned now a few times about those opportunities after the show. Does MasterChef help you start a career in the cooking, chefing, hospitality industry? What are those opportunities that you're kind of reaching for? Yeah, like MasterChef would definitely try and connect you with different contacts around. Like you can ask them to try and hit up a few of the they have this thing like a list of chefs where they will send you out and you can go work with all these different chefs and try and gain some experience to get like a job in the industry. But then saying that, like as much as they will like check in on you and support you in different ways, I think, and you probably heard this from so many other reality TV contestants, it's not what the show can do for you. It's what you will do for yourself after the show. And you probably heard that from everyone. Like it's about like how hard you choose to work after the show. I could have sat at home or any of us could have sit at home and just wait for a job to be emailed through to us or we can go find it. In your first season, you got to the top six. That's right, yeah. And then what was going home like in that first season? 
devastating. It's really hard. I think like I was really proud that I'd made it as far as I did, though with how I did perform, I felt like I should have done better in terms of not maybe making it towards the end or even having the chance to go against like Sashi who won in the final. I definitely felt like I should have gone further, but you know, like it is what it is. And it was definitely a hard pill to swallow, especially when you film for six months, right? And all you think about for six months is winning this competition. And then you're told it's not yours. It's kind of like a breakup. And not only that, like your breakup's recorded and it's in front of everyone. So everyone gets to watch and then later on down the track, you get to live it with Australia as well. So it's really, really hard and not traumatizing, but yeah, I'm starting to feel it now. I'm starting to get like the feeling of it, just thinking about it. Like it's a little like frog in your throat feeling I'm getting now, but yeah, it's, it's really sad, but you know, like it happened and I was down for a little bit and I worked in a lot of like jobs where they'd been competitive, especially recruitment. It's like a target-based job. So when I got home, I gave myself a few days and I kind of like wallowed in my misery, then got up one day, pulled out my laptop and just started going for it and organizing events and organizing pop-ups and talking to different chefs I wanted to work with. And yeah, like I think I did have my time to be upset, but I kind of passed that on to try and do something better. That is quite amazing. You were 28 at the time, so still quite young, but I guess you've got that experience with your recruitment of kind of knowing that you have a certain window to capitalize on something. Yeah, 100% because like in recruitment, we call them leads. So like if an in employers got a vacancy like we're straight away onto it finding a client for that job and moving them in as fast as we can so we can make our coin so i was a bit concerned about becoming stagnant and even though i only gave myself a few days like that few days made me feel a bit uneasy about not doing anything so yeah i just jumped onto it as soon as i could well because when is the next person going to be eliminated what's that time window that you have of being the freshest person out of masterchef to capitalize yeah so i mean if we're talking like because there's a big difference between um tv eliminations and real life eliminations so in real life eliminations what happens like when you're recording it i think the person who got eliminated after me was two days later but on tv it was the following week how did you find watching yourself back on television oh it was crazy it was so weird i remember the first time i seen myself on tv so we were still filming we were in Darwin and we were staying in this little hotel in this town called Catherine. And there was Brendan, Jess and myself from my season all chilling out in this hotel room together, having dinner after a big day of filming. And we weren't normally allowed to watch too much TV, like free to air TV. You could watch like stuff that didn't have commercials on it because they kind of wanted you to stay focused on the competition and not look at yourself on TV. But we were sitting there we got like really addicted to trashy TV and Bachelor in Paradise came on. And we're like, oh my God, this is exactly what we need to watch because it just gets mind numbing. <laughs> and um, we were watching it and then a commercial break came on and then I was on the commercial and we all just started screaming and there was like, yeah, a commercial about me making my dessert. It was like some voiceover, some corny, corny voiceover. Will it be a masterpiece or a, or a disaster? Oh. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, it was just so cool. I remember that was out of this world. We were literally in that apartment screaming. But yeah, from there on, 
it was really weird, especially when I would do like really goofy things or just be like silly or incredibly awkward. That was like always really cringe to watch, but no, I adjusted really well to watching myself after a while. It was weird at first, but after a while, I kind of liked it. I was like, oh, go Reese. Like, (laughs) (laughs) your own little cheerleader. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you accidentally see this ad of yourself while you're still filming. Did it affect how you filmed the next day? No, because I was safe. So, like, we had competed in a group challenge that day, and then the other guys had to go into elimination but yeah once you're on set I kind of don't remember ever thinking about it ever again and I think I lasted that was like nine and I I lasted maybe another month in filming I just know if I'm filming something if a director ever says do you want to watch something back I go absolutely not I will see my double chin or I will see something that I will never be able to unsee for the rest of this project how did you find the public's reaction to you once the show was out I think with MasterChef we're really lucky because it's not like a polarizing personality show. So we get really little hate mail. So I would say maybe like 99 point something could be positive and you get this odd percent that's horrible. So yeah, like it was really great because there was so much like people saying all these really nice things about you and just kind of helps the whole fact that you put yourself out there on TV to make a fool of yourself and then people are like, oh, Reese, you're so amazing. I love that you made that. Or So yeah. It's kind of really cool. How do you not focus on that 0.01%? Oh, man, like the first time around, like that's all I focused on. Because like it's really hard. Like people would be like, oh, Reese, you're fat or Reese, you're awkward or Reese, stop making a dessert or Reese, stop being so gay or Reese, stop being this. But like, Oh, cool. So some really intelligent <laughs> offers. Yeah, lovely. Like, yeah, I'll just stop that. Yeah, good one. So it is really hard at first to adjust to that. So I just realised what social media channels were probably a bit nasty and I found Twitter was a little bit more nasty so I just deactivated my Twitter. It's self-preservation really because as you're saying you've got a job to do and if anything's going to interfere with that then bye. You have gone under quite a physical transformation especially from the first season. Did any of that negativity play into that at all? I think like it was like maybe somewhat of a driving force to prove people wrong because I think I can be a little bit stubborn sometimes. But all in all, like, my physical transformation was because of myself, something that I wanted to do for me and something that has made me feel better and better every day. So, yeah, it's more of a self-discovery thing for me, but boy, was it good. (laughs) Like, when I could, like, go back and be, like, or fit and healthy and be like, yeah, you can't play that now. Yeah. What are you going to send in now, you little troll? Um, Oh, they found stuff. (laughs) Oh, they found They're good, like, that, aren't they? Your left toe is awful. Um, What an idiot they are. And I should also specify that physical transformation that we're talking about is is you lost a very significant amount of weight. Did you find that when you were on television for the second time that there were differences in the way that people treated you? I got a massive change in people who supported me, like a drastic increase but that can be down to so many different things it was like a much higher rated season because of my physical transformation possibly I was much more comfortable and familiar with filming tv shows so I was more myself and more fun and flamboyant and yeah I just think I handled this season a bit better so I did get a better reaction and I'm not sure if that comes down to the show being a bigger show this year or 
physical transformation, being a bit different with my personality and even just a bit more different with my cooking as well. Because the show the second time around was so different. You had different judges. You had everyone in lockdown. I was in London at the time so we couldn't get the series when it was airing. But all of my friends' Twitters, all of my friends' Instagram stories were all about MasterChef. So it was massive. What were the big differences that you noticed? from the first to the second time? Well, I think just generally, like, the reception was crazy. The viewership was, like, double. And they were looking at better figures than what they were looking at back in the early days of MasterChef Season 1 and 2 when TV was much more popular. So that straight away, like, I remember our air day. We were on set the day it aired and our the executive producer came in and he told us the numbers. And, I mean, I was just like, oh, yeah, that's cool. And he's like, that's double your first season, Reese, premiere day. And I was like, oh. Okay, it's really good. So basically, we'd hit all our targets and basically the new concept of the show had revitalized the brand and brought it back to life. So yeah, I, I'm getting goosebumps just remembering how our reaction was to the reception and just knowing that the risk this time to go on season 12 was out of this world compared to what it was on season 10. Just because we'd all established ourselves outside of MasterChef and had brands and you know could you imagine like you've worked really hard to prove yourself as this amazing cook and you go into MasterChef and you get eliminated and they tell you you can't cook so there was a lot of fear of stuff like that so there was a lot of risk but when those numbers came through you straight away knew like there's a reward like the risk as I've said before, was really, really high. So therefore, the reward can be really, really high. Well, I, I hadn't quite thought of that. But of course, you, you've got Cake Boy. So it's not just Reese coming in now. It, it's your entire brand that, that you've worked really hard for and putting that reputation on the line. But you finish fifth. So you not only best yourself... But you finish in the absolute top segment of the All-Stars, essentially. What was going home for the second time like? Honestly, I was not confident that I could win. I just was like, I can make it through every day and I'll make it to the end. And I said, once I'm down to two, like that's where I'll be confident to go for it. And I think like I'm versing people like who are just incredible. But when Poe got eliminated, I thought she was going to win her or Amelia. I was backing those two from the start. And yeah, when Poe got eliminated, that's when I seen like a segue through. I was like, this is an opportunity for me now. But then I went next. (laughs) But I mean, you still have that. You had that extra two days afterwards. What is the greatest negative and what was the greatest positive of your MasterChef experience? So the greatest negative this season, I suppose the whole COVID thing was really rough. Because we didn't know what was going on. The country didn't know what was going on. So we were kind of trying to figure out if filming was best or go home be best because we had basically no idea how bad it was because we were filming for so much of the day we didn't really get out that much. So that was incredibly hard. And I know we had like a lot of meetings about should we go ahead, should we not, should we do this and like with the production company as well. And they were really, really open with us, which I think... As reality TV contestants, you don't normally get. So that made us kind of like okay to stay. And they were like very open with us. There's no need for anyone to stay through this. We want to encourage you guys to go if you need to go. But I think like the federal government said, you know, TV 
with an essential service. So therefore we had to stay open to keep the jobs going. And they looked after us. They kept us socially distanced. They were like really aware of square meters and keeping it not only us on camera, but the crew. Like they were all socially distanced and a lot of people wearing masks. And so, yeah, it was really good. Were you scared to go on? I I was more so scared for some of the other contestants who had like family with health concerns. So they just didn't want to risk themselves getting sick and then having to go home to their family. I was worried for them, but then the show 100%, if any of us got sick, the show would have looked after us and put us in an isolated area and kept us looked after, you know, they wouldn't just leave us astray. It was, it was scary, but I mean, I would have been petrified at home still. Like I wouldn't have known what was going on at home. Like you've had a job, like is it, can I go to work? Can I not? So yeah, I think the whole country was learning at the same time and we were just like filming a TV show at the time of it. So we, looking back at it though, we're pretty lucky to be able to have filmed it all, got through it, being super protective and aware of kind of distancing us and hygiene and whatnot to be able to finish the show. It's paid off really well. And I suppose that's the positive. Like the biggest positive was the fact that I got to do the show. Like the first season changed my life and then this season's probably changed my life times two. Finally, would you like to live out the rest of your career in the public eye? Television, the the spotlight, is that something that excites or scares you? I'd like to dibble-dabble. I don't want to stay too forward. That's why, like, I'm really lucky. I've had the following and had the support and I'm so appreciative of, like, everyone, like, even people send me, like, messages on Instagram and I always find the need, like, have to reply to everyone because I'm just so grateful for the support that I've got. But, yeah, it's it's also really tiring and I don't want to say, like, anything too bad, but I find, like, a lot of the film industry and, like, the PR industry and all of it can be, like, a little bit vapid. So I just don't assimilate well with that. Like, I'm from Newcastle. Like, we're pretty chill here, relaxed. So I'm just trying to transition this really big blessing off the following that was given to me and transition them into Cake Boy and opening my business and putting my head down and just start baking for people. Like, I'm really excited about that. And that concludes my interview with the scrumptious Reese Hignall. You can find links to Reese's social media handles as well as his personalised cake business, Cake Boy, in the show notes. For those of you in Sydney, why not support independent theatre this festive season and get yourself some tickets to my one-woman show, The Apologists? The booking link is in the show notes. So if you just can't get enough of me, come on down to the 505 and we'll have a drink after. This podcast was produced by Hugo Chiarella for Unlikely Productions. The dulcet melody that you are listening to right now was crafted by Robert Tripolino. If you reckon this podcast is a bit of all right, please tell your mates, post about the podcast and leave us a review on iTunes to help other people find the show. Come on, get a girl out there. You can also follow me at Gjoska on Instagram. Yeah, I know, that's G-J-O-S-C-A. Not my best, not my worst. You could also follow me at ScorthorneGab on Twitter. It's my name, but backwards. Hey, we should do this again sometime.